A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spoke Media. Not Sorry Productions. As a kid, I loved hearing the story of how my parents met, and I loved looking at their wedding album. They kept it in the linen closet, which I would go into and close the door so that no one would catch me obsessing over it. I would puzzle over their young faces, so serious and so earnest. They met and fell in love quickly and have a relationship that looks to me like it's impenetrable. And their love gave me a roadmap for how I wanted to love. I don't think I'm unique in this. I believe that our parents are our sacred text for how love works. How they love each other or how they fail in loving each other and how they love us and fail in loving us teaches us how to love by being a good example or a bad one and all the things in between. They are our source text, the thing that we return to when we're lost. This week's writer is Elizabeth Yamane, and she is writing the trope Marriage of Convenience. I gave her the same assignment that we gave all of our writers. Write a romance novel that can help you figure out something about love for your own life. Elizabeth, like me, and like I suspect many of us, can't think about her own future love without thinking about her parents' love story. So she did something really brave and chose to write her romance novel based on her parents' relationship. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Hot and Bothered. Elizabeth is a recent statistics graduate from Harvard, and she's currently unemployed and living at home with her parents, who happen to be in the middle of a messy divorce while she's writing this romance novel. So you you mentioned that you are going to write a marriage convenience story based on your parents and give your parents their happy ending. So what, what does that story look like? So it's going to be a little different. Some of the things that are the same, my parents... Both my parents are from Ethiopia. Um, my dad came to America uh, when he was younger. My mom w- lived in Europe for a while. So they went, met once in London and then um, decided to be engaged, to get engaged. And so there's the 
The K-1 visa process is when an American is engaged to a non-citizen and they have 90 days to come to America and then get married. And it's sometimes given a bad name. Like it's green card marriages. Some people come, you know, not for the right reasons. This is all based off the TLC show, 90 Day Fiance. Great show. I love reality TV. But my parents did this like in, what, 1979? And so, yeah, my parents, my mom came to America, lived with my dad for three months, and then got married on the 90th day. So that's what I'm writing about. It's a marriage. My parents knew each other. It wasn't uh, an arranged marriage in the classic sense. Their parents didn't have a role in it. But it they didn't truly know each other in the way I would expect to know my future spouse before we get married. I thought that there was something really aspirational and lovely about trying to fix the unfixable. But I asked Elizabeth explicitly why she decided to go about the assignment in this way. I don't want to have what my parents had. So I think I picked marriage of convenience to write about like what would be the ideal situation to have like you marry someone because you have to, but then you end up loving them. But I don't think that's what happened with my parents. But so I'm writing, like I'm rewriting their story to make it so like if this was, if you took their, the logistics, the foundation of what they had and then added like the happy fairy tale part on top of it. I had never thought about it like this before, but my parents sort of had a 90 day fiance experience too. My parents met in November of 1970 and they got engaged in December of 1970. My father was fresh out of the Israeli army and had a job lined up in Australia, but he had to change planes in Los Angeles, so he decided to make a trip of it and stay for a week in LA. He went to a Shabbat dinner on the Friday night that he was in LA, and at that Shabbat dinner, he met my mom. He poured milk into her after dinner coffee, and somehow that really impressed her. He, needless to say, never made it to Australia, and still jokes that my mom owes him a trip. Marriage of convenience romance novels are often about arranged marriages, or otherwise marriages that start for really unromantic reasons, but end with a happily ever after. The engagement is the beginning of these love stories, not the end, which is also true of my parents' story. Their love story, almost all of it, happened after the proposal, There wasn't enough time for it to possibly happen before. Elizabeth and I are both one of three kids, born and raised in California by immigrant parents who got married after barely knowing each other. But her parents are divorcing, and my parents are planning their 50th wedding anniversary. Elizabeth is trying to rewrite the arranged marriage story in a way that works. I think that that sounds far-fetched to a lot of people who swipe and swipe for days in order to find their love. But I happen to think that arranged marriages can end in happily ever afters. So I'm excited to watch Elizabeth do this and see how she pulls it off, how she reimagines her parents' love into something that she can replicate in her own life. So I asked her how her love life was going, if it was going differently than her parents' marriage. Have you... You Have you ever been in love? I think I'm currently in love. I fall in love 
very often, but it's rarely reciprocated or with something that is real. Like I fall in love with imaginary, like my idea of a celebrity all the time. But I am in, I'm in my first long-term relationship currently. And I guess it's love. I care for this person. I don't know. Do you believe in a soulmate? Yes. I believe in multiple. Like I, so I studied statistics in college, so I'm all about numbers. So I think there's like people you're 99% matched with and then someone else, maybe you're 97% matched with, but that difference isn't statistically significant. So they're basically interchangeable. (laughs) When you meet the one and introduce me to them, I'm going to be like, what percentage? (laughs) My current boyfriend is um, like a solid 60%. Love him. 60% seemed like a huge compromise to me. So I said to her, I know you love this 60% guy, but indulge me. Tell me about what a 98% guy would look like. This might be not a true answer, but my ideal person is the person for which I am their ideal So I think I'm very agreeable. I'll fall in love with anyone. So if there's someone out there that can be truly like satisfied in their life by me, then that's my ideal, like to make someone completely happy and not like partially happy. That's my ideal person. It doesn't matter like what they look like or gender doesn't really matter to me. Just, I just want to be important to someone. This is all very sad, but. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you picked marriage of convenience as your trope, right? Because you almost believe that you could marry anyone and love them. I'd like to think that. So this made me wonder, is Elizabeth going for something different than what her parents had? Or is she accidentally replicating what they had? She's trying to fix her parents' arranged marriage by writing a good version of it. But in her life, she's settling for a 60% match. I believe compromise is a huge part of any good relationship. But this can't be the right way. I tried doing it the way that Elizabeth is doing it. I picked a guy who I liked and respected. He was a really solid 60%. And about a month in, around the time that my parents committed to the rest of their lives together, I decided, he'll work. Five years later, we got engaged. And then, sometime between my buying a dress and us sending out wedding invitations, we broke up. He was, and still is, a truly wonderful person. But really, our relationship was a handshake. We liked and respected each other. We had the same values and wanted the same things. 60%. Shake. In the context of this conversation with Elizabeth, I realized that all those years ago with my ex-fiance, I'd been trying to replicate what my parents had done. Like Elizabeth, I was trying to create a good marriage of convenience. And it failed. And I'm so glad it did because now I'm with a guy who I don't even want to rate on a scale. And I want Elizabeth to have that, 
not 60%. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Elizabeth and I parted for a few months. She kept writing, trying to imagine her parents' happy ending as a way to imagine her own. When we got back on the phone, she said that she was still living at home with her divorcing parents. She was still unemployed. She said that nothing had changed. But something, of course, had changed. Are you still dating the same guy? You said nothing's changed. Uh, oh my, how could I forget? I... I had my first big breakup in my life. Ugh, thank God. Nothing is worse than watching a friend settle. I can watch them compromise, but settle? Ugh. How are you feeling? That's a big change. Um, I feel great. I always feel great. <laughs> um, it's like with my first... Heartbreak, which I think I'm pretty late to the game. I'm 23, so this was my first long relationship, and it's my first, like, split. And that happened about a month ago. Yeah, I feel great. <laughs> Interesting. She is more than willing to compromise, but not with anybody. This person crossed a line. I asked what it was that he did that made her drop him, and she told me. He texted while driving, and she thought, not this compromise. In addition to her breakup, another big thing had happened. Elizabeth had done some writing, so we had her read some of her story. As a young woman, Ruth's mother had dreams of settling in America, but instead, she settled for a local boy who wasn't too mean to her. Expectations had to be managed when it came to Ethiopian men. If you ended up with an okay fellow who didn't hit you, then your marriage was considered successful. Ruth saw how her father treated her mother through the years with indifference and disregard. When children are raised in loveless homes, there can only be one of two outcomes. One, they see their mothers sad and unfulfilled, and they want different for themselves. The problem with their sweet mother simply was that she picked the wrong man to marry. The solution was easy as being more rigorous in their courtship days. But this is based on the idea that there are good men out there to be chosen from initially. The other option, two, they see their mothers sad and unfulfilled and they want different for themselves. The problem was their sweet mother was naive enough to believe that any man was worth marrying. A happy marriage is a luxury reserved for white people couples on television. 
That is not to say one should not get married, only to, again, manage expectations. Your marriage should be functional, and you should enjoy the tax benefits and the security of dual incomes. And you should have children if you want. But that is all. Well, that's bleak. So I pushed her on it. Surely love is real and happy marriages exist. I've seen them. How do I say this? I think romantic dumb, romantic dumb. I think romantic love is kind of. You think romantic love is dumb. Yeah, that's why writing this story is basically impossible. Because I'm writing like the character I'm writing about is smart. She's like me. And like, she's too smart to fall in love, which is. And I don't want to make the ending when she falls in love because that means she loses. What does that mean? You can you can outsmart love. Like you can like you can live a like a fulfilled life without having a romantic interest in other people. And and I know like you're not saying that otherwise, but I think people who like, I don't know. I just it's hard to write a like a romance story when you're like skeptical skeptical of like the whole thing. So here's the thing. I I don't know that I disagree with you. And so you're like getting to the heart of like I mean this trope is a really interesting one to explore, right? Because to some extent this trope is confronting the nature nurture question of romance, right? Which is like can you just assign yourself to someone and fall in love with them. And I feel like there are two different ways the plot can go. One, it can go, you train yourself into loving them, like through intimacy you love them, or it can go, oh, it turns out that they were the right person all along and aren't the fates crazy that like you were assigned to that. But it feels like to some extent, like the first option might be the needle that you're trying to thread in your life, right? Yeah, that's a really clear way of putting it like I hadn't thought about it like that. So I think the first one you described, that's the best case scenario for like in, a, in an arranged marriage, like what my like story was based off what my parents did. And you just grow to like respect each other and that respect turns into love. And then, but I think in my story, I think what I was trying to write is the is the second one is like, oh, they just so happy. They were soulmates and this is just like they, the stars aligned the least realistic one. This will surprise none of you at this point, but I don't believe in soulmates. And I think Elizabeth is right that the stereotype version of a marriage of convenience happy ending is the ridiculous idea that you could be forced to marry someone who it just turns out is your made-for-each-other match. So when it comes to my parents and Elizabeth's parents, the only option is the first one, where two people shook and made it work. But I'm starting to lose track of this line between what is compromise and what is settling. I'm so happy that Elizabeth dumped the 60% texter, and I'm so glad that I didn't marry my 60%er. And I'm pretty sure that my parents are glad that they got married and had me. I know I'm glad. So what's the difference? I called my mom the expert of marriages of convenience that work. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mommy. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm wondering if you can tell everybody 
how you and dad met and then how he proposed. So mama and papa, my parents, were friends with a man named Shandor who lived in Belgium. Daddy's parents were also friends with this man, Shandor, but Daddy's parents lived in Israel. And your parents lived? In Northridge in California. So after Daddy got out of the army, he was on a worldwide tour, and he was in Belgium and spent some time with Shandor in Belgium. Then they both came over to Los Angeles. Shandor was invited over to Mama and Papa's house for dinner, and he said, I have a guest with me, and they said, bring him along, and they did. How did he propose? What was that like? Um, I think he was surprised by the fact that he proposed. What happened, honestly, was that we figured we would never see each other again after his stay in Los Angeles. So there was total honesty between us and figured it was a safe person to speak to. And we confided in each other a lot more than I think either of us would have under other circumstances. And we were just talking and he asked me to marry him. And I said, Yes. And I think it was like, wow, what did we just do? And I think daddy kind of wanted to backpedal. <laughs> uh-huh. But I liked the idea. So 48 years later, here we are. Um, did you love him when he proposed? Because six weeks. I'm trying to think. I know at the time when daddy was here, before he proposed and we were just going out, we were seeing each other pretty much every day. I was working at the time and after work, I would go to pick him up and I was showing him Los Angeles. And I remember one day, especially waiting for him to come down the stairs to join me. And I sensed an excitement and happiness in seeing him. Now, if that's love, then yes, I did love him at the time. I don't think it can compare to what we had post-engagement and post-marriage, etc. But I think that was pretty much the beginning at that point. Do you remember if you'd said I love you before you got engaged? I don't think we did. I really don't think we did. I don't remember the first time either of us said it. Sorry, my jaw just dropped. (laughs) So you have no recollection as to like when you loved dad. Would you say that before you got married, you loved him? I think so. I think so. I can't say that there was a single event. It was something that grew every day over time. And by the time we were married, I mean, I would imagine we loved each other. It was just such a natural companionship. It was just so easy and so normal. So you liked him from the beginning? A few days into the beginning. Do you think on some level you could have made it work with almost anyone? Um, I think so. I am one who will always try to make something work. 
So, and, and, and with anybody, I think you can make it work. It's the attitude that you have and the approach that you have. I believe that if I make him happy, he will make me happy. And does that him have to be daddy? Of course, at this point it does, but probably could have been somebody else way back then. Do you think that it was easier with dad than it was somebody else? Like, do you- There was a connection between daddy and I that was very special in that our both our parents had similar histories, even though they lived in other parts of the country. There were things that daddy intuitively understood about me and my family just by virtue of life experiences. So there was a lot of things that didn't need to be understood because he understood my foreignness and I understood his. And it's also Mama and Papa totally accepted him because he was basically so similar to us. I mean, it was a marriage of convenience, right? Like we had enough in common and we made it work. No, I think we truly did love each other for it. It started out totally non-romantic whatsoever, but we developed a connection that I truly believe is a very healthy connection where you like the person and you're honest with the person. There were no pretenses whatsoever because we really thought we'll never see each other again. So I honestly think it was a very healthy way of getting to know him and him to know me. That's interesting. So it's almost like the opposite of an arranged marriage because it was like, well, there's no chance here. Right. I have to tell you another couple of stories that really endeared daddy to me. He was traveling with a painting that in case he needed money, he would be able to sell it. He was, I was very impressed with that. (laughs) He was traveling with his school report cards or whatever, so that he would be able to prove he went to school or continue if he wanted to do that. That's just child of Holocaust survivor stuff. You always have your papers and you always have a way to bribe your way out. Absolutely. No question. Sorry. I'm like, you shouldn't have been impressed. No, dad's a very impressive person. He is. Can you tell everybody the story of the milk and the coffee? (laughs) Um, Sure. We were, it was very much in the beginning of seeing each other and we were eating, we were having dinner and then it was dessert and I had coffee and daddy put the milk in my coffee for me. And it was like, wow, it was just very touching for me. Okay. Thanks, mom. Thanks for marrying dad because I was born. You are the best. So I'm fond of you as well. That's why I feel so fortunate that I married Daddy because I have three amazing children. But yeah, at least he was good for that. Yeah. So love you. Have a good day, Mummy. Love you too. I'll talk to you later. After another few months, Elizabeth and I got back into the studio. I was really excited to bring her what I had learned from my conversation with my mom. Marriages of convenience should be about hope, not about, well, I guess he'll do. 
I was like, she'll totally dig this. But something big had changed with Elizabeth again. In fact, she was calling from her own apartment in New York City. I got a job offer, and they're like, the job starts in two weeks. And so my mom, my parents were going through a divorce, and my mom was like, I don't want to live in, like, I don't want to live in this house with your father alone. And so I was like, we're going to pack you up and move to your sister's. So um, I, like, rented a car. I told my mom, this is the date we're going to leave. Pack up your stuff. Uh, So I drove from San Francisco to Portland. It took 12 hours with my mom and all her stuff and my cat in a moving van. And we moved her into her sister's house. And so like my, my home, my childhood home that I loved and was luxuriating in last time we talked is now like an empty house where my dad lives. So it's a, there's been a lot of change. I, if it doesn't work out here, there's not really like a place. There is a place I can go back. I can go stay with my mom or my dad, but like my concept of home is not is no longer, my cat's not there, you know? So a lot of, it's very different. I asked her, now that she had some distance from her parents' divorce, was she finding it easier to imagine somebody that she could hope toward rather than settle for? She said, no, she's stuck. Last time we talked, I was have or every time we've talked, I've been having trouble thinking about the male character the man in my story. Um, And I have an interesting relationship with men. You know, I think a lot of people do. And I don't, I don't, I can't, I can, I think I can say I don't like men. I err on the side of avoiding men. And um, when I, I was fighting myself like being, like disliking a character I haven't even written and like fearing I'm scared of men. Um, so what I did, I was like, let me think of a man that doesn't scare me. And that I thought of Bob from Bob's Burgers, because that's my favorite show. I watch it every day right before bed. He doesn't scare me. He He's just like, and I, it might be because it's a cartoon. Maybe if it was a real life show, he would scare me. But he's just like, he's just a solid man. So I was like, before I... I can, like, dig into this character. He's just going to be a stock image, like, a floating Bob-esque character. And that gave me so much comfort. And with that comfort in place, I, what flew, flot, floated out of me, what flowed out of me was me writing about the other character. Her name's Ruth. And so with that in place, with the levee built, I could get in my speedboat down and write about the other character, which came more easy to me. What I hear Elizabeth saying is that she doesn't want to hope yet. She thinks love is dumb because men are scary. And the truth is that a lot of men are scary. I'm not going to settle for that idea for her forever, but I'll compromise with Elizabeth and let her just have Bob from Bob's Burgers for now. Because being part of a marriage of convenience is being in the right place at the right time. And maybe New York City is the right place, but this still isn't the right time for her. 
and I'm really happy with my non-rankable partner. And I hope that she finds one less animated than Bob soon. And she's not totally unoptimistic either. I'm like cautiously optimistic. I cautiously believe in love could happen. Maybe just because I study statistics and, you know, it's, it's better to have like a conservative estimate and be maybe right than like be off. Like have like, oh yeah, I definitely, like I believe in love and it'll happen to me and then like be wrong. If that makes sense. And now for this week's assignment from Julia Quinn. Hi, Julia. Hey. Um, So everybody has come down from their great sex scene. They have realized something deep about themselves. What happens now? Well, there has to be a black moment. What is a black moment? It's that moment when, and we've all experienced them in in movies and books where you've got your romantic couple and you kind of, you gasp, you're like, (gasps) you're thinking, how are they possibly going to overcome this? Like, I know that they're meant to be together, but how is this going to work itself out? And so that's your black moment. Got it. So often kidnapping is involved in Regency romance. Or, you know, people could be like near death. Those would be sort of external conflict black moments. Got it. Near death, kidnapping. Can you just give us some more, like, less dramatic examples of a black moment? Um, A black moment where somebody has lied to another person Mm -hmm. and the other person discovers it. Yep. And they feel betrayed. Yep. What do you do when somebody does something wrong but for the right reasons? Mm -hmm. Well, can I just say my favorite thing about the black moment in romance novels is that I love how far into despair it can go because you are comforted by the fact that you know there's going to be a happily ever after. And so I feel like some of the scariest scenes I've ever let myself read have been in romance novels. And I let myself get really scared because I'm like, because I know everything will be fine in the end. And there's just such a comfort to an HEA. That's a really good point. I think as romance authors, we often talk to people about how, you know, yes, people read them because they know there's going to be happy ever after. And I at least have never stopped to think about how that knowledge allows us to kind of emotionally scare you in a big way. So we talked about conflict a couple of weeks ago. How Mm -hmm. is the Black moment sort of different? How does it relate to the conflict? Is it a natural extension of the conflict? Well, the Black moment is really just the peak of the conflict. Got it. Or the depth, whichever way you're sort of charting all this. It certainly is the natural, I don't want to say outcome, because hopefully the outcome will be a good thing, but it is the the climax. It is your conflict builds and builds and builds until you get this black moment, and then it has to be resolved because, as you said, we're having a happy ending here. Yeah. So it really does need to build off of this conflict, which hopefully everybody kind of sketched out so they fully understood it. 
So that conflict that everybody mapped out and like really got a clear understanding of about a month ago now, this is the moment where they are fighting it out, where all is revealed, where the real crux of that conflict is being exposed and dealt with. Right. And I think a lot of people, probably when they were thinking of their conflict before they really dug into it and mapped it out, this might be, this moment might be what they were actually thinking of in terms of conflict. And I think it's important to remember that your conflict is is over time. It is it is not one moment. Okay, everybody, go to the dark place, have your characters really fight it out, make sure that they can find their way to a happy ending. But I say go to the dark place. Go to the dark place, but if you're feeling really inspired, you can move into the light. You don't have to wait till the next assignment. I don't want people ending feeling horrible. You're such a better person than I am. Um, Well, thank you so much, Julia, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. I'll be there. If you want to read Elizabeth's story or you want to share your writing assignments, go to our website, hotandbotheredrompod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Rompod and leave us a review on iTunes and support us on Patreon. Our romance teacher, as always, the great Julia Quinn. We are a co-production of Not Sorry Productions and Spoke Media. This episode was executive produced and co-written by me, Vanessa Zoltan, and Ariana Nettleman. Our production team is Chelsea Erson, Julia Argy, Bridget Goggin, Hannah Goldback, Shanyel Kastner, Caroline Hamilton, Jenna Hannum, Will Short, Alexander Mark, and Jonathan Villalobos. Our music is from First Calm and by Nick Bull. And special thanks this week to my mom. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everybody. I'm dropping into your feed to let you know that starting June 23rd, you are invited to a class called Discovering Your Own Patron Saints, a guided workshop with Natalie Folkerts. In this six-session class, you will explore beloved characters from literature who've jumped off the page and made their way into the moral fabric of your life. The first week of this class, you're going to explore what we mean by patron saints, and then each subsequent week will be devoted to a different value, wonder, imagination, grief, and courage. If you are seeking spiritual guidance outside of the constraints of formal religion, if you are someone who finishes a novel and feels like you have said goodbye to new friends, then this class is for you. Register before the first class on June 23rd by going to notsorryworks.com. That's N-O-T-S-O-R-R-Y-W-O-R-K-S dot com.